Tappers, what's up? It is the Thursday edition of the Daily Tap. We were getting there. Was ready there. A uh, little excited. Almost jumped the gun there as, as you would off the blocks. Got a good show today. We're going to talk about Game 2 storylines. We're going to also talk a little bit about Game 3. I'll explain that um, when we get there. Um, as well as we'll talk about the Brewers and Mets as a playoff series. Do you want to play the Mets in the postseason? And then lastly, I will explain why I'm so fascinated by the NLI um, and all the things that go into that. I think it's one of the top sports topics in the next 10 years. I think it's just fascinating in general. Um, And I'll talk about why I'm kind of captivated by the entire thing. But obviously, we need to start with game two, which is tonight. Bucks Suns. It is on Mitch Ross's birthday. Shout out to Mitch. Happy birthday to him. My podcast guy for many a years. The Bucks can't lose on Mitch's birthday. That is just a rule, okay? You cannot lose on Mitch's birthday. That is, you can't do that to Mitch. But anyways, we'll see. Hopefully they won't. Um, obviously, I don't think this is a must win for the Bucks. I think there will be a lot of people who say it is a must win for the Bucks? I understand these stats. I understand that being down 2-0 is usually not a good thing. Only about 7% of teams come back from a 2-0 deficit. The Bucks have been part of that 7% already this season. Remember, the Bucks looked dead in the water after game two against Brooklyn, and they came back to win four games in the next in the next five. They lost one. He also looked dead after game five because Kevin Durant hit this awesome shot and then the Bucks came back, blew them out. The Bucks have been able to get off the mat almost every time they have lost a basketball game. Um, the only example where they weren't was obviously the Brooklyn thing that we mentioned in game one and two. But other than that, Milwaukee has done a great job getting off the mat. So tonight will be a test of that. We'll be able to see if the Bucks are able to sort of find themselves again. Now, Giannis Antetokounmpo only had 11 shot attempts. Giannis was not as effective as he usually is. I think Giannis was getting comfortable with his knee injury. Um, And so I expect a lot more from Antetokounmpo in this game. I think you're going to see Giannis take control. Um, Giannis has had some big games against DeAndre Ayton. He's had some big games against the Suns team. Dario Saric now out with a torn ACL, which means they do not have a backup big. If I were the Bucs, the first plan of attack tonight is to attack DeAndre Ayton. And you attack him with Giannis. You see if you can get Ayton in the foul trouble because that will throw off the Suns entirely and create a massive rebounding advantage for the Milwaukee Bucks. So I think you're going to see Giannis in full attack mode early, trying to get Ayton in the foul trouble as well as trying to establish himself in this series. Even though Giannis had 20 and 17, I think it was a quiet 20 and 17, which speaks to the incredible nature of who Giannis Antetokounmpo is. I just think you're going to see him be on the attack early and make shit happen. Um, That to me is one of the bigger things that I'm going to be watching for because I do think the Aiton angle is important. I know Aiton has been really good about staying out of foul trouble uh, as the season has kind of moved on. But still, Giannis is a different beast, man. He has not played a guy like Giannis all throughout the playoffs. Remember, the whole reason why people wanted to pick the Lakers against the Suns was because Anthony Davis was a mismatch for DeAndre Ayton. Now, I don't know. Maybe that 
that's not the case anymore. But it looked like we were headed that way. Remember, the Lakers were ready to be a 2-1 lead. And then Davis goes down and everything falls apart for the Lakers. And then it's been curtains ever since. But Aiton really has not faced a guy on Giannis's level. I do think Giannis is better than Anthony Davis. I would take Giannis 10 times out of 10. I'd take him an 11th time, honestly, um, over that Charmin soft bitch, Anthony Davis. That was a little mean. Okay. Charmin, I could have just done Charmin soft, but seriously, I don't like Anthony Davis at all. Uh, one of my least favorite players in basketball, honestly. I, he really is. Like, I, I like when he lights it up, but like I hate that he is such a follower. I hate that he just goes wherever LeBron does. He's like LeBron's puppy dog. It drives me crazy. So that was kind of a side shot in Anthony Davis. I didn't expect to pull up and unleash the clip on Anthony, but I, I had to. So anyways, DeAndre Ayton hasn't really faced anybody to Giannis's level this, this playoffs. You know, in the... Denver series, he had Jokic. You could say, all right, but Jokic has a similar body type as Aiton, and I think Giannis is a better player than Jokic. And he just, again, that that's a different body type. Jokic is big and burly, and so is Aiton. Like those are just two fucking Grizzlies going at it. Like that's not that's not what um, you're gonna see with Giannis Antetokounmpo. And then against. The Clippers, it was a, they had no size. They had Zubach again, another Grizzly. So he's always faced these big dudes, and now Aiton will get a Giannis matchup that he he got babied a couple times when they went at him. But I really do think that you're going to see Giannis Antetokounmpo establish himself and try to make his mark on this NBA Finals. Also, in terms of attack mode, I think everyone knows Drew Holiday needs to be better and Drew needs to attack early on. And they need to free Drew up with some opportunities. I wouldn't be surprised if Bud tries to get Drew in scoring position, scoring situations, whether that's pick and roll, whether that's a pick and pop, some sort of thing where Drew can, can get himself going early on and maybe that sparks something because Drew is great defensively. I think he needs to be on Chris Paul a little bit more, kind of fight through screens. I understand the switching. I still think the switching is okay. I know a lot of people are like, go away from the switch because Chris Paul and Devin Booker lit you up. That to me is a game one overreaction, a classic game one overreaction. Like, let's at least see it a couple times before we're like, all right, we got to scrap this thing. I know those guys live in the mid-range. I know they make all the old-school NBA people come their pants because they're making every mid-range shot. But let's at least see it twice before we're like, all right, fuck the switch. Because remember, so many Bucks fans wanted the Bucks to be this switching team and wanted to, like, switch all over the place. And now that we're switching, they're like, wait, 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 can't switch. And it just speaks to the fan, right? It speaks to how fans are, that they just, A, can never be happy, but B, it's like, all right, we can try something else, and then it doesn't work. Like, we have to try something else else. Like, come on, man. Like, you don't like the top coverage, you don't like the switch, like, what kind of defense do you want? You want a zone? You want to go 2-3 Jim Beheim style? Like, what, what do you want here? So I, I, I can't necessarily get down with that. But yeah, I do think you need more from Holiday offensively. I think he needs to be more of a factor early on. I would not be surprised if they get him going um, quickly and see if that kind of sparks the Bucks 
and leads the Bucks into a winning position. Another couple things to keep an eye out for. The Bucks have to make sure that the bench of the Phoenix Suns does not get going. So you had Cameron Payne of 10 points. You had Cameron Johnson have 10 points as well. Um, so that's obviously for math majors at home. That's 20 points off the bench. You have to slow that down a little bit. Like Cameron Johnson, we know he has one move. He is a one-trick pony. He makes three-pointers in the corner. And that's all he does. That's all Cam Johnson does. So if you know that he is a corner three guy, just make sure that he is not going to get free looks in the corner. I know the Bucks can sometimes have a problem with that, but make sure that Cam Johnson is always accounted for in that corner. He's a 45% three-point shooter in these playoffs. Like You cannot let him get going. And if somehow he finds his way on Giannis, you can't fade away on that guy. Like Just bury him into the basket. Like He is a beanpole. He is an absolute stick. Just take him right to the lane and dunk on his head. Like Cameron Johnson is, you know, here's the thing. Cam Johnson is a probably going to be a pretty good player, right? Like he's probably going to be a solid player. He got drafted two years ago. I remember I was at a Brewer game uh, in that NBA draft, actually. And I remember all of us were laughing at the Suns. We're like, what the fuck's the, what, what, what's Phoenix doing here? And lo and behold, they were right. I mean, the guy's been a, is a productive player in the NBA Finals. With campaign, I just think you put somebody really tough defensively on campaign. So I don't know. It might not be Drew Holiday. It might be P.J. Tucker. I don't think Pat Connaughton is fast enough for, for campaign. But you put somebody on campaign to frustrate the shit out of him and force him into bad shots. Campaign also has such a windup on his three-pointer that how can't you block that shot at least once or twice, right? Like, how can't someone just block that shot? I think there just needs to be a little more take campaign seriously. And I think part of the reason why campaign has been so good in this playoffs is because I think a lot of teams kind of are, like the Bucks, were like, oh, fuck, it's campaign. We've seen campaign. He's not that good. And he just fits with the Suns team. So the Bucks need to make sure that he's accounted for. If they can slow down the bench, I mean, that's 20 points right there. Like, let's cut that in half. Let's just say it's 10, okay? The Bucks lose by three. And three points is like, it's one shot, right? You have one shot to do it. If you cut that in 10, you, you at least kind of limit what the Suns are trying to do. So I do not personally expect Payne and Johnson to have as big of games. They might, but yeah, you can't can't get those guys going. Uh, as for the back to the Bucks, I, Chris Milton, I thought had a really good game. I think just Chris keeping it up. I know some people were frustrated with Chris's performance. I thought Chris did everything that he could to keep the Bucks in this game. I know that there are people who are like, ah, what 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 do we get from Middleton again? I, I, I can't believe I have to say this so much, but Chris Middleton's not a sexy player. He's not going to give you the flash. Like, he'll have those quarters where he's on fire, and those are awesome. But other than that, you're not going to get the flash. Chris had 29 points. Like, he should not be getting criticized. No one really should be criticizing Chris Middleton for what he's doing. And, and also, too, like, Chris Middleton should have been at the line at least six times, if not eight like the fact that he didn't get one free throw call was egregious. And that to me is another factor. And Middleton, if so let's say Middleton got fouled six, let's say he went to the line six times. Pretty good free throw shooter, I think 
He makes all six. Chris Miller would have a 35-point game last uh, on, on Tuesday. We would have all been like, oh, wow, Chris Middleton took over. He, he kind of replaced Giannis, even though Giannis was back on the court. The other last part is the officials. I think there is a fear, probably, from Bucks fans that the officials might not necessarily give the Bucks the calls they need. Now, if it's Scott Foster tonight, we know we know what, what could happen there, right? Chris Ball has lost 11 straight games with Scott Foster as the official. Um, Scott Foster and Chris Paul do not get along. Chris Paul, Scott Foster doesn't like Chris Chris Paul's style of basketball. I, I don't know. They they have major beef, and that is a real thing, and that will be talked about if Scott Foster is actually the referee tonight. I don't know who's refereeing the game. I don't think they have that out. Um, but let me see if I can find it as we as we talk through it. But yeah, the free throw discrepancy was borderline egregious in game game one and who knows why there's no there's no notes on who is roughing uh today's game that is not out yet we will obviously wait on it um we'll see who who gets the call if tony brothers is involved um that would make me nervous um tony brothers is a guy who i feel like is more anti-bucks than pro-bucks um now I, he did have a good game against uh the nets where he actually called a pretty solid game so maybe it'll be all right but yeah i need i i need scott foster maybe kenny mauer would also kind of make me nervous eddie malloy uh, those are all guys who i i get like kind of ticks about you're gonna see one of those four guys though i guarantee you you will definitely see one of those four guys ref this game and i don't know who is the worst out of those bunch for the bucks we'll we'll see i'm sure someone would have a stat on that I would say Zarba's okay. I know people have problems with Zarba, but Zarba refed game six both in the Atlanta and Brooklyn games and was perfectly fine. I don't think there was really any issue with Zach Zarba. Um, But I also don't want to make the refs an excuse. I know that there are some who might be starting that train. Like, look, man, it, it would have to be the way that we could make the refs, not an excuse, but a topic would be if we continue to see this discrepancy. If this discrepancy kind of sticks without the, the series, then it's a real conversation. If the if the discrepancy comes back to earth, then it'll be all right. But yes, the only time where we really felt like I think the refs played a major factor in a playoff series was the Dallas-Miami series, the first one, where it kind of felt like they didn't want Dallas to win because the Mark Cuban... David Stern rivalry, whatever. But Miami got every fucking call in the book. And hopefully that is not the case here. Hopefully we do not see Phoenix getting every call yet again. Um, Devin Booker, his antics, I think, are worse than Trey Young's. So we'll we'll hope that the refs are not an issue in this game. Let's just let's all cross our fingers, say our prayers, and make sure that the refs aren't going to factor into this one. As for game three, I just wanted to call this out. So game two, game three, there is, I would say, a less than 25% chance I podcast tomorrow. Look, I'm just being honest with you. Um, I have my bachelor party. I'm golfing at 10. Um, I have to take the dog to my parents' house. um, And all of that combined equals I have no fucking time to probably podcast. 
which bums me out. I hate that. You could say, well, Charlie, why don't you do it after the game? Well, I'll be out. I'm going to I'm gonna have a few beers. If we come home right after the game, maybe uh, I'll be sober enough to do it. Um, I actually have a guest staying with me. Maybe the guest will get on. Um, I don't know if he wants his name, name to be. He's not a basketball guy at all. So <laughs> listening to him do a podcast about basketball would actually be pretty funny. Uh, but anyways, uh, who knows? Um, we'll, we'll see what happens there. If nothing else, I'll, I said this yesterday, I'll do an Instagram TV, IGTV sort of like 10 minute thing on the game, talk about game two, and hopefully you guys will like that. And that'll kind of be a solve for not having a podcast. We'll also talk a little bit about game three and then for game three, we'll be back and then we'll, we'll do a podcast after game three on Sunday night. And sort of get ourselves ready for game four, which whatever that, that'll that look like. And who knows at this point. But let's hope the Bucks can pull it out. Let's hope we're 1-1 heading back to Milwaukee. And let's hope the weather improves here in Milwaukee. It is cold. Like We went from 90 degrees at the start of this week to like 60. I, I will be at the Brown House tonight if you guys want to come through uh, for Mitch's birthday or for the game. I have probably... I'll, probably be in jeans like i this kind of makes me nervous right like my my uniform was a buck shirt shorts and sandals like i definitely will not be wearing sandals tonight shorts right now are questionable uh long sleeve probably bucks long sleeve is probably a given uh, at this point because man it's cold which make just gives me twitches man it just gets made me a little nervous that i don't have the full but like there's been other stuff where i've been nervous like our guy Tim wasn't working. I think it was game five. I don't know. Was it game? What was it? There was one of the games he wasn't working, and I was like, "Fuck, Tim's not here." Maybe it was game two, but I was like, "God damn it!" Like Tim's not here. Like holy shit! Like this is gonna go bad. Didn't go bad. So, anyways, we'll be returning to the bra house tonight, uh, looking for our eleventh win there, which is absurd in its own its own like little world here. Let's move on to the Milwaukee Brewers. I talked a little bit about the Brewers uh, on the blog today, snowtapwi.com. I, I was really upset that the Brewers lost that game this the, yesterday afternoon. Still not kind of over it. Uh, you mean, you basically beat DeGrom. You, you're up 2-1. You need the bullpen to close the door. I understand Hayter has been 20 for 20 or 21 for 21. Blown saves happen, but man... That was a bad time for his first blown save. I would have preferred it to happen in some other situation. I never like blown saves. Blown saves are literally one of the worst things in baseball. And Josh Hader cold streak, I've said, said it before, is one of the worst things as a Brewer fan because you just are on edge because he can be crazy. I'm not saying like this is going to lead to a Josh Hader spiral or anything like that, but more so it's just, it makes baseball a lot tougher to watch. It, it definitely adds some tension in the late innings. But what I more want to talk about was the Brewers and Mets who seem to be on a collision course for the playoffs. So if you look at the standings right now, the San Francisco Giants have the best record in the National League. The Milwaukee Brewers are th- uh, third, second to the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Brewers are one and a half games back of the Dodgers. They are three back of the Giants. 
The Padres, who are also a wild card team, are four, are one and a half back of the Brewers. They're two back of the or three back, excuse me, of the Dodgers, trying to get that home playoff game in the Dodgers Padres wild card game that would have a massive rating and would be an incredible baseball game. I think there are a lot of people who are like, can can the Giants fucking leave? Can the Giants just get out of here? Like we we need. Dodgers-Padres is like a five-game series. We do not need it as a one-game playoff. The hand-dragging that would go on and be like, oh, we need it to be a three-game series, would be just obnoxious in its own right. And then you have the New York Mets sitting there at 45 and 38, um, and the Mets would then be at the three seed. So the Brewers and Mets, right now, if the playoffs started tomorrow, the Brewers and Mets would be playing with the Brewers hosting New York in a NLDS. So the, Brewer, the Mets are a team where, yeah, they don't have 50 wins yet. They will probably they will not get the 50 wins before the All-Star break. Um, they are in the worst division in baseball, which does help out New York. But I got to tell you, after playing New York for three games, I, I think it's a tough opponent. Like, I think the Mets are pretty... A, I think the Mets are good. The Mets have a bunch of injuries. They've had... Pete Alonso's back. You have Frankie Lindor playing a lot better. Jeff McNeil's been in, like, a year-long slump. I know he had the game-winning hit. Um, they don't have J.D. Davis. Uh, Michael Conforto's kind of just the guy. Brandon Nimmo just came back from injury. So, like, they're getting their guys back. Like, it's... They're... You could honestly see the Mets going on a pretty significant run and kind of making this more of a, it might come down to the last weekend in baseball of who hosts the first round of the playoffs sort of thing. Like that to me is is on the table for the New York Mets. It would not surprise me. The Mets have also a dynamic pitching staff, starting with Jacob deGrom. You have Tywin Walker, who's been great. Uh, Marcus Stroman, also really solid for them. Those three guys are enough for a playoff run. Like that's really, you just need that front line. Now, would I put that front line better than Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, and Freddie Peralta? I, I think the sum of the Brewers is better than the sum of the Mets. I really do. I think DeGrom is better than all, all five of those guys we just mentioned. But I, I, I do think that the Brewers have a better pitching staff when you when you look at that. They definitely, I think, have a better bullpen. I know the Mets have Edwin Diaz, but Edwin Diaz, can you really trust Edwin Diaz? I don't know. I don't know if Edwin Diaz really elicits a ton of trust from me. But the other problem is for the Mets is if they have one injury to the Grom, Stroman, or Tywin Walker, they are absolutely fucked. They really do not have another guy. Now, Taylor Miguel has been pretty good for them. Corey Oswalt was a longtime like, prospect, just has not really developed into that, that role yet. So they kind of are looking for that fourth guy. I could see them trying to make a trade to kind of get, quote unquote, insurance if, these guys, if one of these guys goes down. Um, I don't think Noah Syndergaard is going to play this year. And if he does, maybe it's a bullpen thing. I don't know. Um, it obviously would be a huge lift for New York if you could get Noah Syndergaard back. But I, I do think this Mets team is annoying to play. They're really pesky. They are never say die. They do not quit. 
And that, to me, is a baseball team that is built for postseason success. The Brewers have a lot of that, too. The Brewers have, I think, the second most comeback wins in baseball behind the Boston Red Sox. So, like, the Brewers are definitely like that in their own right. So, I mean, this could be a pesky off, right? It could be, it could be like, 2-1, and whoever's late-inning heroics come through are going to win this baseball game. You know, I mean, the Brewers were up 3-0, and the bases were loaded with no outs in the sixth inning of last night's game. The Mets just chipping away, and then Brad Boxberger got themselves out of it. Then the Brewers added insurance runs. It was 5-0. The game was curtains from there. So that, to me, is right. it, it, it kind of says everything about who both teams are. And I, I, I do, I, I, this, the series would intrigue me. Like if they were, if this was the matchup, I would be very intrigued by this series. I'd be pretty nervous just because I don't, I wouldn't expect a ton of offense. I think it would be really fun. I think that you would maybe put yourself at a one zero disadvantage against Degrom, but the fact that you were able to get two runs on Degrom, even though they were two solo home runs, that's good. It's better than some teams, right? Like, that's not something that is easy to come by. And the, what's also very weird about the Brewers and Mets is they don't meet at Miller Park until the end of the season. Like, they do not meet until September 24th. So who knows what they're going to be fighting for. That could be a fight for home field. Now, I think it's an interesting topic and maybe something to explore with Mitch next week when topics are going to be bare is like, do you want the number one seed in baseball? Like, is that something that you really want with the fact that the Los Angeles Dodgers, San Diego Padres, or San Francisco Giants are probably going to be waiting for you? I don't know. I don't know if the one seed this year is that elusive because you do have a much tougher NLDS, but this Mets team isn't bad. I just think the NL in general is really good. Like, I think that's probably where, and I've said this before, and I think, I don't know, I don't think the NL gets the respect it deserves, and I don't know really why, but I think both, I think baseball is actually in a really good spot. I know there's a lot of talk about, like, why isn't Otani a bigger deal? I think the reason why, just really quickly, is the, and I know Bill Simmons talked about this, I saw it a little bit, and Sam Decker, I think, tweeted about it too, like, Otani's not that big of a deal because there's basketball going on. That's why. Like, basketball is usually done by now. We usually have the draft and we're done with basketball in late June. We are into July where it should be baseball time. And that's, we should be had 100 stories on Otani. Otani should have been the biggest story for the last like two weeks. But because we have basketball until. The end of July, really, because I think the draft is right after the finals, as it usually is. Like, we're not going to be talking about Otani. We have hockey, too. Like, for those who care about hockey, or maybe hockey and baseball fans. Like, there are a lot of people just not paying attention. But it's on baseball, too. I will put this out there. It's on baseball to make sure that Otani gets more media. That they make sure that he is on ESPN as often as fucking possible. Now they play a three-game series against Seattle this weekend. That's not really a, hey, let's put Otani on primetime. But looking at their schedule, they then play Seattle again. You go to Min- you go Oakland, maybe Minnesota, 
Probably not. So okay, so they have a series against the Dodgers in uh, August. Like that, you should make sure that you have at least one of those games. Maybe shift that to Sunday night. Like that to me is a prime spot for Otani. They've already shifted Cleveland, Los Angeles to a Sunday night game uh, in in summer. You have them one game against New York as a makeup game. Like again, that's another prime Otani spot. Houston comes to town in middle of August. You got to make that happen. New York comes to LA in late late August. Like again, they go to San Diego for two. There are opportunities to really make sure Otani's featured. But right now they have one ESPN game and one FS or two FS1 games, one ESPN Plus game. That is not enough. You need to have way more for that. Okay. Oh, I was just talking about baseball in a good spot. I was like, where did I, where did I start? I went on this like Otani tangent. Sorry about that. Okay. Yes. Baseball is in a good spot. Like you look at the teams on the top and you're like, all right, here are all the teams with 50 wins heading into the all-star break. Houston, Boston, Chicago, Tampa Bay, Oakland needs to win one. And they're at, they're at 50 games. You have a Blue Jays team. That's good. They're three back of the A's in the wild card. The Yankees are almost uh, five, four, they're three and a half back. Uh, so you do have something there with the AL. So the AL has two, three, four, maybe five 50 win teams. With the NL, you have the, the Giants, the Dodgers, the Brewers, the Padres, all with 50 wins. So let's say, I don't think the Mets play tonight, but if they do, um, they have a chance to maybe get up to 49 by the end of the weekend if they sweep. Uh, you have the Cincinnati Reds also at 45 wins, um, which they're four and a half back of of the Padres. But if the Reds have a bunch of wins this weekend against the Brewers, let's hope not. Um, but if they do, they could push, push to 50. Baseball's in actually a really good spot with all these really successful and competitive teams. And so I think you're going to get a lot of great matchups. And so to the point about Otani, it's on baseball to really make sure that these matchups, these potential playoff matchups, are being highlighted throughout the second half of the season. That to me should be baseball's goal, is do their damnedest to make sure that all this shit gets featured. You know, yeah, the Brewers end their season with the Mets and Dodgers. A lot of those games should probably be on primetime. Like, do what you can. You know, make sure there is a spot for baseball here as we as we try to grow the brand and grow the game, if you will, and make others, you know, like it and fall in love with it. Because I, I do think there is a disconnect and I do think it is a somewhat of an old man sport, but we'll see. We'll see. Maybe everybody will get into it. I do think you're going to have an awesome playoffs if things kind of sit the way they are right now, which they won't because... Baseball's weird, man. You can go on like a complete losing streak and just fall apart and be an afterthought. Or the the inverse, you can be on like a red hot streak and throw yourself into the conversation. Baseball is weird th- that way. All right, wrapping up the show, um, I went long on baseball. I did not expect to go that long on baseball, but if we did, whatever. That's okay. Um, I don't have a ton of time, unfortunately, to talk about NLI, uh, the name, image, and likeness. Um, I, I'm just, here's the thing. I'm fascinated by it. I think it is one of the more interesting sports stories to watch over the next few years. The reason why I'm fascinated by it is it's a weird combination of things. 
it's a weird combination of player empowerment versus reality, okay? I saw David Ubin, uh, who's a good writer. Uh, he writes a lot of good things for The Athletic, so I'm not trying to shit on him too much. But he wrote this thing about how we shouldn't be fear-mongering and worrying about athletes and their financial situation and too much too soon. If you remember, that phrase has been used by Bill Simmons when it comes to NBA athletes back in the early or late 90s, early 2000s, where you had a lot of kids who were coming out of high school who got massive contracts. And those contracts led to financial problems. They led to a lot of poor decision-making. It led to just things going wrong for those athletes. It is fair for us to challenge the idea of these guys are 1099 workers. They have to report on their taxes. They they do not have someone helping them. A W-2, if they're a W-2 employee, they would have taxes taken out. They wouldn't really have to worry too much about that. But because they're a 1099 worker, they have to self-report taxes at the quarter. And if they let those taxes kind of build up, they're going to have a ton of taxes to deal with at the end of the tax season. Mark Titus was on Titus and Tate, and he talked about this. He talked about his issues with um, the with taxes when he was at, after he had got done at Ohio State and was running Club Trillion and selling T-shirts and all this other shit. And he kind of explained how it was an absolute shit show for him. And I worry, and, and it's okay to worry about that for athletes. So to me, like the biggest stories are like, who's going to sign like the McDonald's deal, right? When is McDonald's going to get involved? Are they going to get involved? Like a big company like that or Burger King or something like that. Or maybe it's like a challenger brand. Like I know I just listened to Ryan Rosillo talk about it uh, with Walk-Ons, the restaurant in Baton Rouge, but they're kind of all over the country. I think actually one's coming to Milwaukee pretty soon, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, But anyways... So they, they, is it going to be more the challenger brands like that? Or is it going to be these big ass brands such as a, you know, McDonald's or a Nike? Is Nike going to get, I don't think Nike actually can get involved, but is somebody going to kind of break through? Are we going to see that level at some point? Or are they going to wait to see what the ROI is with small businesses? Because there's a lot of small businesses right now who are using these athletes who are saying, all right, let's like promote our brand. And I think they're stupid not to. I, I, do, I haven't seen a lot of stuff come through for Wisconsin. But the fact is, is that not a lot of Milwaukee and Madison people are taking advantage of, of this. They're stupid. They just are. Like that is a absolute missed opportunity to at least build some brand awareness. But I do think there are going to be a lot of people who in two and three years are going to look back at the ROI on this and say, hey, what did this do for our company? And it's like, eh, not a ton. Like, we didn't really make a ton of sales because of this. He's going to, he or she's going to be like, well, why the fuck are we doing this? Why, why, are we even, why are we giving this athlete a ton of money? We shouldn't. So I do think you're going to see this overreaction. Then I'll see this pullback. And then the question will be is like, will we have an athlete who gets in trouble for back taxes or tax evasion? Like, is that going to happen? And when it happens, are we going to defend the player to the death and be like, well, it's not his fault. Like, 
it's the university for not preparing him. It's like, look, as a normal ass college student, as I think my guy Mike Votto pointed out, Votto, excuse me, pointed out, like we don't get like any training on taxes. Like we, like I'll admit to you, I'll say something here since we're in the trust tree. My dad does my taxes. Okay, he he has no problem doing them, and you're probably like, wow. Just another privileged white kid. Yeah, fine, whatever. But my dad does them. And so I, like, look, we don't get trained on taxes. No one does. So it's like, how are we supposed to expect these kids to to just understand how to be a 1099 worker? It's worth just having conversations. It's worth making sure that this gets figured out. And as it's been said by a lot of people, it's the wild, wild west right now. And so you got to make sure that these kids don't put themselves in a financially unstable situation because the odds are a lot of them will not be NFL players. And even if they are NFL players or NBA players or Olympians or who the fuck knows, right? Starting financially unstable is not a good thing. And we see this happen with just normal ass people. They get a credit card. They're like, all right, cool. I have this free sort of card that I can just spend, spend, spend on. And then not only are they worried about student loans, but they're also trying to dig themselves out of credit card debt. And look, I'm not a financial expert. I'm not a budgeteer, but I'm just saying there are reasons to worry and don't just don't discount them. So yet again, I went longer than I expected. Long show for a non-finals uh, game, like long ass show. Well, when you have a couple topics to talk about, like I said, this NLI stuff just fascinates me. I, I I think it might be NIL, name, image, likeness. You know, me and acronyms, never, never a strong thing. All right, guys, take care. Like I said, probably Instagram tomorrow. You don't know. Um, we'll see. Uh, fingers crossed for something. Um, if I don't get you anything, I will at least issue some sort of apology, some sort of thoughts on the game that maybe is a little longer than my one-minute review outside of the broadhouse. All right. Take care of yourselves. Have a great Thursday. Um, again, a happy birthday to Mitch. We'll see you at the broadhouse tonight. All right. Peace.